Point and Dan, it's the 35 minutes after 10 here on SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. A team is we are about to get into a social conversation. It's our Mindful Wednesdays. We are speaking about organizational culture and how it affects profitability and service delivery for the organization. Uh, Billy Siligani will be joining us. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. Let's welcome uh, an author, uh, Africa's number one inspirational. In fact, I, I think it's, he's gone beyond Africa. He's international, this man. Inspirational keynote speaker, facilitator, and a businessman. Uh, someone who, who mentors just by speaking, uh, Billy Siligane. Thank you very much for joining us once again. Good evening, ma'am, and good evening to your listeners. It's a Mindful Wednesday time, and I'm glad we're talking organizational culture. Um, yes. When we opened up the show, I was asking the A-teamers to share with us during this time, um, you know, especially those who have uh, organizations of their own. Um, yes. The organizational culture usually is something that people will put down in pen and paper, uh, especially when they're doing their business plans and they're planning the business. But once they start the business, they forget about the culture. And, and and don't consider the culture when they now have to bring on new customers, new services, mm-hmm. add on add on onto their offering, hiring people. Yeah. <laughs> and years later they find things are crumbling at the seams. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Firstly Absolutely. Explain to us how do we get to a fitting or a befitting organizational culture? First we have to, you know, kind of like get a a basic understanding for what it is, because too many people talk about it, but really not many people get get to know what it is. Now, one of the greatest management gurus of our times, the late uh, Peter Drucker, once came up with a statement that says, you know, culture eats strategies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Now he said it. Now and then, I say that culture is an internal perception and experiences that your employees have about your organization. It is the way that you do things around here. And then, Louis Gessner, who was a CEO of IBM many years ago, said that, I quote, I came to see in my time at IBM that culture isn't just one aspect of the game. It is the game. In the end, an organization is nothing more than the collective capacity of its people to create value. So we have to understand the essence of what culture is. So culture basically is, is, is the way that you do things. And the way that you do one thing is an organization. It is the way that you do all kinds of things. Now, I'm going to take you through a journey of where we are, and we'll just keep unpacking it until we get to a level where people understand it very clearly. Now, if we, if we look at where we are, Patricia, at the moment, uh, before COVID, the, the buzzword was the fourth industrial revolution. You know? And, uh, you know, and in a lot of cases, people just spoke about it and asked them, so what does it mean? Too many people couldn't really tell what it meant. So I'm going to share with you just four things that give us a global definition of uh, the four IR. The first one is what I call IoT, the Internet of Things. Now, the Internet of Things simply means that everything gets connected with everything. Your watch is connected to your car, your car is connected to your television, your television is connected to your fridge, your fridge is connected to your, to your bank account. So the Internet of Things, it means everything just gets connected. So that's, that's, that's the, the basic platform for the fourth industrial revolution. And then there's a process called augmented reality. Now, if you go to a, 
an experienced store like an Apple store, a Samsung store, or a Microsoft experienced store, you'll find people wearing glasses and some of them holding funny little things in their hands and doing all kinds of gestures. They're doing that because those glasses have taken them to a different reality. And, and this has become so powerful that, you know, I always laugh and, and make a joke and say, if you get married today, you cannot afford to go on honeymoon, you can as well go to an Apple store with your wife and get those glasses and find yourself in Spain, in the beach, you know, <laughs> observing and walking the beach, because that's how reality has been augmented. Then the third one is what we call machine learning. Now, machine learning, I'll give you a very simple and typical example. So if you use your, your laptop to go online and, and do your banking, and I borrow my, my laptop to do that, one thing that's going to happen is <clears throat> because the S&B or the Standard Bank or the Net Bank, whatever system that you use, it has learned your keystrokes, you know, how you punch in your stuff, and it has, it has actually learned even the kind of uh, keyboard that you use. And if you use a different one, 100% of the time it's going to ask you for an OTP, which it will send into your phone to prove that you're the right person using that machine. So machines are now beginning to learn the patterns of how they all work. And the greatest of them all <clears throat> is what we call big data. Now, when you look at IoT, IoT means when everything gets connected, it means we've got data points of everybody. Now, I'll give an example. Uh, uh, an organization like Meta, which owns Facebook, Facebook literally has got about, now they say it's over 120 data points of your life. So they know what you Google, they know what you like, they don't know what you don't like, because you've got those notifications, you've got allow, you know, geo, whatever. So they've got so much data about you. That's why I say to people, nowadays your phone listens to you. So if you talk to a friend about oh, you know, I wish I could go to Zanzibar. In less than two minutes, from a Facebook page, we start getting adverts from, from organizations or tourist companies that have got targeted to Zanzibar. So it just shows that data is so all over the show, but great organizations know how to do data mining. So they mine it to prepare themselves to interact with customers and sell better value and create more value for themselves. So therefore, we've got to understand this fourth industrial revolution, and this is just an example, it goes much deeper, so that we can juxtapose it with organizational culture, because what I've just said now is going to affect the way that you behave as an organization, how you connect with each other, how you connect with your customers, how you create a go-to-market strategy. Because without understanding, you know, in, in the truest essence, the, the depth of who I are, you are, you are in trouble. And I always laugh at people and say, when COVID came, we started to work remotely. Uh, in that remote working, before this remote working, when R4R was on, on steroids, we were talking about digital transformation, how organizations need to digitize. Like I said, use big data, use the internet of things and stuff like that. And most organizations have not done so. So I laugh at people that say, oh, I said, no, working remotely <laughs> does not mean that you've gone through a digital transformation. It means you're still doing the same job, going through the same system, using your computer, but in a remote way. You're logging from from your home into your work system. It doesn't mean that you guys have gone through a digital transformation where things are digitized. So that's just the background of where we are as, as, as the world. Now, when organizations begin to, to, to talk about culture, we then also need to say, what kind of, of world of work has the fourth industrial revolution brought in, in, among us? Because me and you know that, uh, you know, for many, many years, 
employees who are exchanging their time for money. Their time, their expertise for money. So when I come to work, I'm going to do what I'm qualified to do, or I've got experience, and you're going to pay me, and that's it. And if you don't pay me enough, I'm going to run and go to the next organization that will pay me, you know, a thousand rand, nine hundred rand, two thousand rand more. Now, in this life that we're living in, and this emergence of the fourth industrial revolution, and the depth of understanding organizational culture by many organizations, we are now faced with what we call the new world of work. And this new world of work, uh, Patricia, again, these are components of culture. And I'm going to break down how we build it. This component that I'm talking about becomes the layers that become the foundation for you to even begin to build your culture. Billy, before we even go to those components, all right, I I want us to just uh, stay here because uh, you can only build on those components if your, your organizational culture is clear and precise for you and those who work within the organization. But what happens in other organizations where they don't even have, um, you know, a culture? They don't have anything they stand for. They just want to make the money. Well, such organizations, they, they, they become what we call successful by default, not by design. The implications are when things fall apart, they can never have a proper diagnostic to find out what is going wrong. And then they go out of business. I'll give an example. There was an organization in America called the Lehman Brothers, which was an, was an investment company. It was 155, 154 years old, and it died overnight because of bad organizational culture. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, uh, you know, we've got uh, in South Africa. Uh, if we look at the state-owned enterprises, we've got over 720 of those state-owned enterprises. All of them have collapsed. And how have they collapsed? Because of organizational, bad organizational culture. You know, because they did not have designed cultures, they had cultures by default. Therefore, there were habits and behaviors that people were were running with, which were not empowering, but disempowering people inside the organization, and eventually they fell apart. So, in also, we've got also private companies that, uh, you know, have fallen apart because their culture is absolutely toxic, and, and, and it is what it is. It can never change. And, and until and, and organizations understand that culture and brand are two sides of the same coin. Culture is an internal perception and experience that your people have about your organization. Brand is the external experience that your customers experience when they deal with you. So if your culture is negative, the consequences are going to become that your, your, your brand is going to become negative. You are then going to have a brand backlash and eventually you're going to die. Let me go it's to, yep, okay, conclude before I go to this WhatsApp. Yeah, it is just that, and if you look at, if you research the top 10 in organizations in the world today, or 20 organizations in the world today, you know, most of them are successful today, most of them not because of the products they sell, but because of the culture they have, because the culture that they have impacts their employees, their employees impact the product, the product impacts the customers, the customers impact their bottom line. Let me quickly go to this message then um, from an A-teamer who has not given us their names, who says part of corporate culture is in the COC, Code of Conduct, that includes morals, manners, ethics, behavior, and company values. Top management sets the example and leads by example. All workers are brand ambassadors. And that's what we hope is supposed to be happening. I agree with this A-teamer. Yeah, 100%. He, mm-hmm. he and she is... 100% correct. And and by the way, when you know what is spoke about, you know, code of conduct, morals, and ethics, 
in South Africa, sadly, we, we hold a very low score or low regard for moral and ethics. We only believe that people should be arrested and investigated, then we say they're unethical. It doesn't have to go that far. Unethical behavior is seen in how people are treated in an organization. It doesn't have to go to people being hearing and then, you know, court cases and all those kind of things. And sadly, I mean, Patricia, you know, I, I do a lot of work in this space. I work with organizations that from the outside, they look fantastic. They've got billboards, they've got all kind of things, they've got branded t-shirts, they've got, you know, but when you get in and understand that they are very good technical with the product that they produce, but when it comes to their people management and handling of people, which is where the heart of your culture is, they're really bad, you know. People are depressed, people are unhappy. It's just a disaster because the leaders, because remember that your leadership becomes the... People don't listen to what leaders say anymore. People watch what leaders do, and then they emulate what leaders do. So a leader can stand and give a very fantastic speech. We don't care about the speech more, but their behavior. How do they behave? How do they treat people? How do they make their employees feel? So let's go through uh, the components straight after this uh, quick break. And uh, A-teamers, remember, you can also interact. We're talking organizational culture. Um, and our guest is uh, Billy Siligani. 011-714-2006. That's where you can interact. Or WhatsApp 614 Conversations with Patricia Anduli. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. As we continue with our Mindful Wednesdays uh, with our guest, Billy Siligane, who's an author and uh, Africa's number one inspirational keynote speaker, facilitator and businessman, talking organizational culture. What is it and how does it affect profitability and service delivery in your organization? A-team, is, the lines are open. WhatsApps are um, open as well on 0614-104-107. How important is organizational culture when it comes to profitability and service delivery? Uh, do you know what the culture of your organization is? Well, please do share with us. Billy, you're about to take us through the components that are required. Please do so. All right. So there's a, there's a seven-step process that when we do interventions, we take our, our customers to, through to get to, get to, to build their, their culture. Okay, the first one is we usually say to organizations, you know, there's the philosophical part of your organization which has to be solid. And there are three core things there. The first one is your SOP. stands for statement of purpose. Why do you exist you know, as an organization? Why, why do you exist? You know? And that statement of purpose has to be very simple, has to be very succinct, and has to be understood by everybody in the organization. From the top person to the real lowest employee, they must understand why this organization exists. Secondly, it's your vision. Everybody should know where you guys are going. If people know why you exist, they should then know where you're going, you know. Who do you want to become as an organization? Then the third thing is your mission. How are you going to achieve your vision, you know? So, so that's the first part. The first part is what we call your, your philosophical foundation. The second part is you've got to create an intrinsic understanding in your organization where people have a clear understanding of what culture is and what it is not. And... Uh, when we talk about uh, the clear understanding of what culture is and culture is not, we, we have been accredited by an organization based in Chicago called Human Synergistics. 
they have a a methodology called the circumplex. And they've been doing organizational culture for the past 45 to 50 years. Now, actually, uh, there are two top organizational culture gurus in the world at the moment. One is it's, it's, it's Robert Schlein, who's a, a, a past president, a past professor at Harvard, and, and then the founder of, of Human Synergistic is the second one. So we had the opportunity to work with the, uh, the founder of, of, of Human Synergistic and in understanding their methodology that they use in defining uh, uh, culture and measuring them around the world. Because these guys have worked with, uh, you know, in, you know, a government, private sector, you know, they've worked with, with a lot of amazing organizations around the world uh, trying to assist them in, in understanding their culture. So their model, the SICAM uh, model says that there are three kinds of cultures. There's what we call the constructive style, the passive defensive style, and the aggressive defensive style. Now, let me share with you what a constructive organizational culture style is. There are four things that are in that particular style. The first one is achievement. Everybody loves it when everybody achieves. So people celebrate each other, you know, because a sense of achievement is quite big. The second thing is they take time in creating processes for people to self-actualize in the work that they do. You know, if then it's important then you know, the work that you do must bear meaning for your life. It must not be something that you do just for a salary. Uh, the third thing is they are very humanistic and encouraging. So they'll bring people like me to come and work with your leaders, inspire them, coach them and mentor them so that they become better people managers. And the fourth one is they create what you call an affiliative environment where people take pride in connecting with the brand. You know, they, you know people would, they, they would take T-shirts of the organization, give to their children, they would have stickers of the organization in their car, in their house, they let cups of the organization. So people feel that they're part of, and they love being part of the organization. Okay, so that is the constructive style. And then the passive defensive style, it's got some, so the passive defensive and the aggressive defensive, of course, are negative, you know, cultures. The passive defensive, the first thing that you see, when people do, they, they get into the stage of avoidance. People avoid each other. And they end up working in silos. You know, people don't, don't have a, there's no conducive environment for constructive engagement and confrontation. In a con- so people avoid each other. So if you've done something wrong, I'm thinking, if I come to Patricia and tell her she's going to lose her attitude, and tomorrow, so I'm going to avoid Patricia. Uh, the second thing that we see in this organization is uh, there's, there's very strong dependency on a particular cult of people or person. You know, there's this person who knows it all and does it all, or this group of things, people who think they walk on water, then everybody must bow to them, you know. And then they are very conventional in the sense that a lot of these passive defensive styles, they still push a lot of papers, you know, even though we're in the fourth industrial revolution. And the fourth negative uh, attribute that they have is everybody seeks approval of the cult. You know, there's this group of people that everybody seeks approval for. When they're going out and, uh, you know, or oh, if so-and-so saw me and I smile at them and I greet them and whatever, I'll get ahead, you know. So that's the passive defensive style. And the last one, the aggressive defensive style, is the, uh, the, the, the first negative attribute is oppositional. So people oppose each other openly. You know, there's this battle for positions and major backstabbing, you know. I mean, people, it's just a, it's just a very toxic environment. That's the first thing. 
The second negative aspect is there's a lot of power jostling, you know. So people want to be promoted for the sake of being promoted, not because they've got value to deliver at the next level of, of their work. And therefore, they would do anything to get a promotion. They will suck up to the boss. They will do all kinds of things just to get promoted. And because of this power jostling, there's big competition. People compete instead of becoming collaborative. And that competition creates a very negative uh, environment. And the last one is uh, the bosses, you know, this cabal, who are the bosses? They want everything to be perfect. There's a a kind of, you know, kind of like an unwritten rule that says everything has to be perfect because it's a facade. Therefore, you want to maintain this facade. So this is the tool that we, we use when we work with organizations and say to them, a great organization grows based on constructive style. So this, what I've said with you, they're actually 12. They exist in all organizations, so it's a responsibility for each organization to make sure that the passive and aggressive and the passive and defensive are very low. They score exceptionally low. And what scores very high is the constructive, uh, uh, constructive style because once that happens, it means you're building a culture where people love to become part of the organization. So that's the, that's the second thing that we do, making people understand exactly what culture is. There are many tools, Patricia, many, many tools, many beautiful tools. I mean, there's one called Barrett, whatever. We, we, we also say some of my consultants are certified with Barrett, but I love this one because I really, really resonate with it. So that's the second thing that you do. The third thing that you do, you then establish your core values. Your core values are what we call your behavioral code. It's how you're going to behave inside this organization and treat each other. Now, sadly, a lot of organizations have got values that are written in the reception, that are in the you know, annual report, but nobody understands them globally. They are not measured. You know, they are not part of their people's KPA or KRAs. They are just words. And one of the things that we do when we, because when we work with organizations, uh, Patricia, we do a process called organizational readiness. And we then take them through this third step. And if they're not ready, we tell them, guys, you're not ready to do this. So for the next three months, six months, depending on the size of the organization, please do these following things as an organization. And when you think that you've laid a clean enough foundation, then we'll come back and do the work. Because it doesn't have to bring people from the outside who are trying to build the culture and then leave. Because then it will not going to be owned, it's not going to be owned by people internally in the organization. So the third step is your core values. The fourth step is you've got to create a scientific measurement tool that will tell you where you are, your current culture, and your ideal culture, where you want to go, and then give you the what you call casual casual factors that you have to deal with to shift from your current culture to your ideal culture. I love this complex tool because that's what it does. When we do the assessment, it will tell you exactly where you are and it will tell you exactly where you should be. And then so we have the S is, the to be, and then we'll build a transitional bridge between the two by by helping you build this culture block by block so that you get where you want to go. That's the fourth process. All right, uh, Billy, we can't get to the fifth one this evening because we need to go to the news now. (laughs) So let's hold the fifth one. Um, uh, For those who are making notes, uh, we'll recap uh, when we next speak and then we'll get on to the fifth component. That is very important. Um, How do our A-teamers get in touch with you? They go to our website, billysilicanspeaks.com. 
they send an email to pa at bilisilagane.com, Facebook, bilisilagane, LinkedIn, bilisilagane, Instagram, bilisilagane, underscore speaks. Excellent. Simple as that. Thank you so very much, Billy. Looking forward to the next time we engage. Definitely. Thank you. A-teamers, it's time for us now to go to the news.